And good morning, welcome to Meanderings. We're delighted to be back with you this morning. And today we'll be talking a little bit about transitions, new starts, what it's like to leave one situation and move into another. There's a number of things that come along with this. Uh, Particularly today we'll be looking at transitions between different homes, different areas, different environments. Uh, We all have these experiences. What does it mean to uproot oneself and leave a familiar environment? What are the fears and concerns around that? What are the opportunities that moving to a different location or a different sort of space can present? And uh, what's the reality behind all of that? With me again this morning, I have the wonderful Andrew, who's joining us. Good morning, Andrew. Morning, everybody. Nice to see a decent morning, isn't it? Isn't it beautiful? If you are in other parts of the world, and hello to Indiana and Ohio. Uh, We've finally got some decent spring weather at the moment, but uh, after a fairly long period of fairly grey and windy morning, so it's really nice to see. Wonderful. It certainly is. How would you like to start this discussion today? Well, I suppose what we're looking at is new starts and how we uh, uh, have these various chapters of our lives. And I think a really good spot to start is, I mean, obviously when we start school is a a big deal, but I think uh, changing schools, going from primary or elementary school to high school, which is, I think, even in any system, the public or private system, is quite a leap And uh, I remember it very clearly. Sarah, what's your initial recollections of your change from elementary or primary school to high school? Well, it's a particularly interesting one to think back on because I think most of us have very uh, clear, intense recollections of that time of our lives, which obviously means that even though now as adults we look at kids in grade six and we think of them as kids, but when we project ourselves back in time, there was a lot that was that we had to us, even back in those days before internet. I think today's kids are so much more informed, involved, socially aware than we were. But even then, uh, I remember distinctly thinking about how I wanted to be, how I wanted to perhaps refine how I was, what sort of friends I was going to seek, uh, and feeling something perhaps a little constrained in the way that I was up until grade six. How about you? Well, I suppose to frame the discussion further, when you went from primary to high school, did you change peer groups and did you leave a particular high school and transition with everybody or did you have a new break? Ah, I think you should be first to answer that. Well, I transitioned from primary to high school with the same cohort and... uh, I think that would probably be a, a bit of a different experience to someone who came from a really small primary school, went to a big one and knew nobody, or went from a standard uh, primary school to a high school in a different suburb. And I imagine that that was your experience. Yes, I went from a, a local primary school to a, a much bigger secondary school where I had to catch a bus and a tram and... Uh, And I only knew one person who was going to be at that school and we were in different classes anyway. So, and you're going from an environment where you're sort of kingpin as grade six. I mean, I remember being in prep, 
looking up at grade sixes and just thinking they were light years ahead. They were so sophisticated and so much older and knew who they were and that was the sort of vision that I had. And then when I was in grade six, I looked at all these secondary school kids and it seemed the same thing. And you go from being the, you know, the, the top of the chain, I suppose, in one school to being right back at the bottom again in another. And yet it's also the opportunity to carve out a slightly different niche if you wish to. And there are so many things all bombarding you at once, a different experience of travel, different friends, a different sort of work ethic may be required. And uh, uh, again, you're now looking ahead again, looking at the Form 6 or Year 12 and thinking, oh my goodness, that's, I'll never get there. They're so big. <laughs> Indeed, that was my experience too. I mean, I moved to cohort with a cohort to high school, but you joined other cohorts from other primary schools in the area. And uh, again, it's forging new social experiences, new friendships, and uh, it was quite a profound change, I, I thought. Mm. Was there anything particular that you wanted to change about yourself or an aspect of yourself you wanted to bring out with this new environment? Um, well, I suppose you have the opportunity to mould your social behaviour. If you're um, uh, self-aware, which I believe I was, I decided when to do that that I would actually alter the way I interacted with other people. And uh, I probably had a, a personality It was a... Um, smart aleck I suppose but after a, a time it doesn't actually win friends and influence people so I decided to modify that behaviour so that was a, a conscious effort to do that. That's so interesting that's so interesting. I remember that I was very shy in primary school although I'm very much a people person and no one today believes that I was ever shy because I can be quite extroverted but but I was and I found it really difficult to to come out of this what felt like some sort of barrier or shell. Uh, but I knew that this was a chance where nobody was going to assume that I was shy. So I thought if I just step up and become the person who I want to be, I suppose there's a little bit of fake it till you make it, try it on, see how you go. And uh, if it's actually closer to who you really are, then uh, you can, the friendships you form in that time are possibly more authentic. Well, I think that's been demonstrated by the fact that you still have girls' nights some <laughs> when you know a couple of decades, three decades after leaving high school. So clearly, your decisions that were made then have paid off in terms of uh, ongoing and long-lasting friendships. Yes, I still can't actually believe it when I get a newsletter or an email from my school and. There's news about different reunions that are ha happening, like the 40-year reunion. And I think, oh, those people must be old. And then I think, oh, that's, that's me. I'm having a 40-year reunion. How is that possible? Is it really 40 years? It is. That's just – it still seems strange today. I think it's a common lived experience among anybody who's old enough to start thinking of age that none of us feel the age – that's represented by the number of how many years we've lived on this planet. We all feel younger. People tend to feel in their 20s or 30s in general. So with that as a bit of a, a launching pad for our topic, looking at transitions and touching on some of the different aspects 
that are implicated with these transitions. I'm going to play you a little song and it is going to be one that represents leaving. This is Leaving on a Jet Plane by Peter, Paul and Mary. This is Mindy Wong. You're listening to Radio Karam. Call TAD to remodel my place. Said I wanted it to be that kind of place. Knee deep in the Renault. Sinking in our fights Other shonky builders Waking me up at night And And Adam plays the boss man He He listens to the customer Don't you remember He built this kitchen He built this kitchen with T.A.D. We built this kitchen we built this kitchen with T-A-D We built this kitchen We built this kitchen with T-A-D We're back everybody That Peter, Paul and Mary song Just the, the yearning in that voice No wonder it stands the test of time Indeed, indeed. There's a lovely, uh, sweet nostalgia in that song that really comes through. And uh, it reminds me very much of uh, the feeling of after I lived in Paris for a couple of years, when my then husband and I decided we were going to buy a house. And uh, we found this house in a wonderful little town called Samois-sur-Seine, which was very picturesque and right on the River Seine. And uh, in front of a small island to which there were two bridges at either end. So it was a very lovely little walk to stroll down the street, cross a bridge, walk along the island, cross the other bridge and head home. Uh, But um, before that, we were living in Paris. And I think you wanted to... Ask me something about Paris. Well, I remember you telling me there was a particular event. Uh, I suppose all homeowners can sympathise with it, but this involved a small Paris flat and a large piece of furniture. Oh, I know what you're talking about, yes. We loved our little flat. I used to say it was a 28 square metre flat, but it really felt like a 32 square metre because it was so well designed, and uh, which usually makes people laugh here and uh, probably the size of our current lounge room, really. And uh, it was wonderful because it had three beautiful windows overlooking a large square with a fountain, La Fontaine des Innocents. 
and all sorts of things happened in that square. We were on the fourth level with no lift and very narrow staircase. And uh, at one point we wanted to get a couch. So we found this lovely secondhand green leather couch that we just fell in love with, really comfortable, lovely quality. So we, I think we knew someone who had a trailer and we got it to the bottom of the stairs and then, as I said, no lift. So the two of us are manhandling this couch up first flight, up the second flight, up the third flight, up the fourth flight. If I'm belabouring the point, it's just a little reminder of how hard it actually was. And we're heading down the corridor to our, to our door at the end and there was a restriction in the corridor and we could not, whatever we tried, get it past that. Can you believe it? We'd measured the doorway, we'd measured the stairs, we hadn't measured the restriction in that fourth corridor. So we had to take it all the way back down and took it back to my then husband's parents who minded it for us until we bought our house. <laughs> so that was uh, what they call a trigger. <laughs> it, certainly, it certainly contributed, yes, yes. And uh, uh, I've thought quite a lot recently about that first house purchase. It was uh, a place that we loved to go to, the area of Fontainebleau. You could take the train direct from Paris and you could either get off in the middle of the forest. Only on Saturday mornings did the train stop in the middle of the forest. There's no station but it's for all the bushwalkers and hikers. They could just hop off in the middle of the forest and take one of the tracks to one of the towns around the place. But I think on this particular day, we didn't get off there. We got off at Fontainebleau, headed into town, talked to the real estate agents, and they took us around to see some things. And uh, very smart agents. I didn't know back then how smart they could be. They took us to see a couple of really horrible places and then one that was very charming, although incredibly impractical. But by then, we just thought, oh, this is so beautiful. There was something rather exquisite about what was... Uh, imagine, imagine a flat on three levels. There was an entrance at the bottom a small windy staircase to go to the first level which had the kitchen at one end overlooking the big garden and on the other end the living area overlooking the river with a balcony and on the third level it was a bedroom under eaves a little bit tight but certainly manageable but the charm of this place it was very old was from the 1800s it had very interesting heritage overlooking the river and all that light and that big garden. It was a lovely little town and uh, it just felt right. So thinking back, what makes a place feel right? It's clearly very personal. For me at the time, it was certainly charm and also the fact that uh, I was near water. That just felt lovely. It felt sort of like I suppose a little bit like coming home. I've always wondered if we don't have some sort of hard-wired aspect in our minds that draws us to things like bodies of water, draws us to fire, uh, draws us to communities. Anyway, it was the light, the view, the water and the charm that really captured my heart and my husband at the time. Uh, the lack of practicalities, 
being on three levels, uh, not a single right angle in the whole construction, uh, ghastly wallpaper. <laughs> we ended up living with that stupid wallpaper for three years, would you believe, till we changed it. And uh, it was absolutely beautiful and we loved it and we had our children there. And uh, so a lot of baby barriers when you've got tiny kids and three levels and steep stairs everywhere. But it worked very well. And, uh, and I think that looking back on why was that place such a good fit, it really helped me define the things that are actually important to my sense of well-being. And those things would be light, uh, a view, seeing trees, seeing sky. They're things that have stayed with me ever since. And also the water, really lovely. It's quite funny then that uh, you ended up buying a house in Brunswick (laughs) (laughs) and in a city suburb of Melbourne with no water and no light. Well, that's true. But uh, it was was a case of uh, an iterative series of uh, trying to de-brown that house, lighten it up, uh, bring some view into it, wasn't it? Indeed. Okay, let's use that to come to another song which is about listening to your heart in terms of when something is a good fit by Roxette. Hello, my name is Dave Graney. I am an underworld musician of many years standing. I'm here to ask you to tune into my fellow traveller, my comrade, Radio Caram. Greetings all, back we are. Sounded very Yoderish, didn't it? So one thing that struck me when we was just speaking before Roxette was your mentioning of light and the feeling of space and water. And I suppose that leads into the rather interesting and spontaneous decision that led you to Bond Beach. Would you like to let our listeners know how that came about? Because it's... uh, I think spontaneity is an understatement. <laughs> yes, it was a little bit pull the rug out, wasn't it? <laughs> um, I can't remember how much detail we went into that story in our first episode, but uh, the, the, the very short version is we've been living in Brunswick for 20 years. We had no desire to live anywhere else. We were doing a major renovation and on a, on a random day trip we... Uh, happened to discover uh, this beautiful, pristine, blue sky, sunlit beach at Bond Beach and also a house that was coming up for sale. Uh, Happened to be two weeks before the auction and while I was strolling through that house with you, Andrew, I had a feeling of fit. (laughs) A feeling of... Actually, I came across a word today in the age, in the travel section, and this word is Sisu, which comes from the Finnish. And Sisu means a will so strong there's no denying it. And I laughed when I read that because I said, oh, darling, that's what we're going to be talking about in meanderings, when things just feel right. Because at no time during that process did I waver or have any doubt. It didn't feel... uh, like a like a push it felt like a homecoming at so, in some way 
And uh, it was only several months later after moving that I realised how many similarities there were with the move to the little house, the little flat in Samoa. I thought, here we are, we can see the water. It's full of light. It was the light that I initially found wonderful with this house. Uh, Fortunately, uh, it's also quite practical. It's got space, it's, it's got plenty of amenity because if it didn't have, if it had more charm than amenity, I think that we're now at an age where we do need things to be practical. So it was a fit, it was out of the blue and uh, uh, the other things were in terms of uh, it's not just falling in love with a house because that's not what makes a life. The other things that were important were the local amenities, the dogs being allowed on the beach, and possibly most importantly, community. I recall that you were horrified when I went door knocking the first day we saw the house. That's an understatement. (laughs) But I needed to know, if we're moving to this area, who are the neighbours? What's the feel? And we've been absolutely so delighted and included, and it is a lovely little community. I've more recently uh, joined another community, the Icebergers, and uh, uh, surprisingly, wonderfully, uh, I've I've sort of taken to swimming in cold water all of a sudden. Just for those who aren't quite sure, what exactly are Icebergers? What's the community of Icebergers? Oh, thank you. Uh, It's a group of people. uh, There are many groups of Icebergers around the place. Ours are the Bond Beach Icebergers, so we meet on Saturday mornings at the Bond Beach Life Saving Club for an 8am swim. And there's also a Facebook message group and there's usually someone saying, is anybody going to be there tonight at sunset? So there's most evenings a sunset swim around five in winter at any rate. For those who aren't from the area... This is almost just adjacent to the Southern Ocean we're talking about. It's nothing tropical about it. The water temperature's 12 to 14 degrees. It's um... it's balmy and exquisite. <laughs> no, it's it's certainly it's certainly a real experience. It is icicles, ice needles penetrating your skin is the first feeling. It's really shockingly cold, shockingly cold. With the benefit of the group, you're striding through, grimacing and just making your way through. Uh, And then after a while, you start to become strangely warm, which is the the numbness setting in. And uh, some days are more difficult than others, but there's a feeling afterwards of this sort of uh, gentle invigoration, a little sort of uplift. Maybe it's a dopamine surge, I'm not entirely sure. But it's really lovely. And while we're talking about the icebergers, I'd like to send out two birthday greetings. Happy birthday to Dr John and happy birthday Dale, who had her party last night. It was absolutely wonderful. And again, reminded me and spoke to my heart that this is a really lovely place to live with really good people who are warm and inclusive. Uh, So, yes, it's just really interesting that the purchase of my first ever house in a little town in France had so many similarities with the purchase of what's actually the eighth purchase in Bond Beach. And there's the charm, the water, the view, the light and an absolutely 
wonderful, wonderful community. Yeah, I'd agree with that, even though I had to be dragged down here kicking and screaming. <laughs> I agree. I agree. To me, before that, Bond Beach was just yet another stop on the Frankston Line. For those out of the area, the Frankston Line has many stops and you can't wait to get to the city because it seems to go on forever. So it's amazing what you discover that's uh, under your very nose. Yes. And on that note, we're going to send off with, with two songs. The first is All I Can Remember by The Seekers and then after that there'll be ABBA Arrival. Hi, my name's Paul Kennedy and I'm a sport reporter for the ABC and when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Caram. Tune in and enjoy. That is a wonderful track from ABBA, probably not played as often as some of the other dancing songs that they sing, but I think of that song Arrival. It's got something of a very ceremonial flavour, like a processional, and it's got plenty of gravitas. And although it's talking about arrival, it was also lay over, you know, laden with these overtones of nostalgia. So I find that quite a, a deeply resonant song. Um, now that I've played that, I do feel that I should play one slightly more upbeat song by ABBA before ending. Uh, we will return in two weeks for our next episode of Meanderings. It's the same day as the Bond Beach Farmer's Market. It is the most lovely market. It is beautifully curated with every stall being wonderful, food, drink, uh, handcrafts, all sorts of lovely, lovely things, lovely people, dog-friendly. Come early, get a parking spot and enjoy. Okay, so I'm going to play Super Trooper, especially for a friend of mine who's going through a difficult time. Hi Trish, this one's for you. Hello, I'm Con. And I'm Stav. And, and we're we Ed and Nucky. You're listening to Radio Caram. Cause you're a sky, cause you're a sky full of stars 